0: The Wabanaki, people of the Dawnland, have lived in Maine for 16,000 years. The four Wabanaki tribes arrived on Mount Desert Island in birch bark canoes. The island is nestled at the nexus of Wabanaki land, though after a diaspora, the tribe unfurled across the coast of Maine. The Wabanaki, their spiritual traditions, and their economy are deeply rooted in Mount Desert Island's forests. Their culture is woven into Maine's rivers like the intertwined sweetgrass baskets strung together by tribal members. The Wabanaki forage for plump berries, pick slick clams from the shores, and tend to a flourishing economy and have done so for centuries in the land now known as Acadia National Park. The Wabanaki chief Estiku headed a crucial fur trading post in the 1600s, based in eastern Penobscot Bay. The French, English, and Dutch all jockeyed over this territory, intent on gleaning the treasure trove of furs, hides, and seal skins distributed by the native people. For 150 years, Europeans scrambled to chief Astikus' trading station with a slurry of lethal diseases in tow. Along with unique trading opportunities and luxurious goods, the settlers brought smallpox, cholera, and influenza to the Wabanaki, add the Europeans' explosive weapons to the mix, and Maine's native coastal people were nearly obliterated. Over the course of just a few decades, up to 98% of the Wabanaki died in what the National Park Service report dubbed an American Indian Holocaust. In the wake of these epidemics and violence, the coast was clear for colonial settlers. The surviving Wabanaki regrouped with other slaughtered tribes and attempted to reconstruct their lives. In the late 1800s, the government began separating Native American children from their families and transferring them into abusive boarding schools. The goal was complete cultural amnesia and assimilation into white society. Today, Maine is only just uncovering the sickening stories of these boarding schools, tragedies deftly concealed for decades. Victims of these schools are stepping up to share their stories of the sexual, physical, and mental abuse they endured. The crimes committed against these stolen children rippled further into the future than most people realize. Even though the schools themselves were shut down, covert racism and the colonial schools of thought thrive in the state's foster care system. In 1972, Maine's indigenous children were 25 times more likely to be placed in foster care than other kids. Native-run organizations, working in conjunction with the state government, made tremendous improvements to the foster care system in recent years. They've compiled reports, unlike any others in the country, that exhume the harsh realities of the assimilation schools. Although these reports shed light on trauma and seek to find ways to make amends, up to half of Wabanaki children in the foster care system were placed in non-native homes as late as 2012. Of Maine's 1 million residents, about 8,000 of them are Wabanaki, and this number is dwindling. The state uses blood ancestry to officially identify native residents even though the tribes seek to self-identify. Maine's insistence on only considering blood heritage means that eventually some tribes will go extinct. Maine's native tribes still don't have the same rights as tribes in other states. The Wabanaki are fighting for tribal sovereignty, meaning that they would function under an independent government and justice system. It would allow them to have access to support for health care, social services, housing, while at the same time becoming more self-reliant. The state of Maine has made improvements over the years, and they are working together with the Wabanaki to heal these shocking disparities. They're publishing cultural resources, encouraging non-Native residents to learn about Indigenous traditions, and making important steps towards taking responsibility and acknowledging what the Wabanaki have declared a cultural genocide. The National Park Service, specifically Acadia National Park, seeks to make amends for seizing Wabanaki lands. Acadia National Park supports the natives' cultural reclamation of federally protected parkland that they are so closely tied to. Located on Mount Desert Island, the largest island off the coast of Maine, Acadia National Park is a hub and a meeting place for Wabanaki people and traditions, as well as non-native visitors. One of the park's main missions is to help visitors understand not only the splendor of Acadia's wilderness, but to connect it to the region's spiritual significance to the Wabanaki. However, the park's relationship with the Wabanaki has some room for improvement. Acadia National Park and private landowners impose a tangle of restrictions on the tribal harvesting of plants like sweetgrass and the brown ash tree, a common occurrence when it comes to previously colonized land. These plants are central to Wabanaki traditions used not only for intricate basket weaving but are also traditional medicinal tools. When the Wabanaki were prohibited from speaking their native language, Harvesting was a means of reconnecting with ancestors and keeping culture alive without words. The Wabanaki tribes teamed up with botanists to conduct extensive research on the sustainable collection of these spiritually significant plants. Harvesting, when done sustainably, can actually promote biodiversity and facilitate growth, according to experts at the Abbey Museum, a Wabanaki organization located on Mount Desert Island. Although the park currently allows some harvesting, the limitations are still questionably rigid. Wabanaki researchers and advocates argue that more harvesting rights are an important step towards decolonization and cultural reclamation. Climate change is also affecting Wabanaki culture and harvesting practices today. As global warming puts a damper on the freezing cold winters that Maine is notorious for, a tiny iridescent insect called the emerald ash borer is able to munch its way further north than ever before. Every year, invasive insects and diseases demolish enough trees to release 6 million tons of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. Some scientists predict that the insect, the emerald ash borer, will cause some species of ash to go functionally extinct. Miraculously, the ash borer has not yet been sighted in Acadia National Park, but the Park Service regularly leads searches and prevention missions on Mount Desert Island. Rising sea levels also threaten Maine's coastal buffer zones, or marshes strung out along Maine's creeks and harbors. These marshes can serve as fish nurseries, natural water filters, and storm protection all rolled into one. Marshes can absorb more carbon dioxide from the atmosphere than any other habitat. Climate change is ravaging other plant species in Acadia National Park. One in five of the plants documented there a century ago no longer exist in Acadia. An insect known as the red pine scale is a menace to red pines all over Mount Desert Island. Most of Acadia's red pines are already dead or dying. Sea creatures that are culturally and economically significant for the Wabanaki people are also struggling. Fish are fanning up the coast in a climate-induced diaspora that calls to mind the Wabanaki flight from their native homeland centuries ago. Shellfish such as clams, mussels, and oysters are being purged from Maine's warming waters. The invasive green crab, which delights in the balmy temperatures, preys on mussels and clams. Whales and other sea creatures traveling through the Gulf of Maine to the Arctic plan their migratory and reproductive patterns around the availability of prey. When predator-prey relationships are impacted by climate change and warming waters, animals strung across every thread of the food web are impacted by poor reproduction and starvation. Moose and other species that carry cultural meaning for the Wabanaki are in danger from climate change. Wabanaki food, hunting, gathering, and traditions are all linked to an ecosystem that is now crumbling. Environmental pollutants, such as the mercury and toxic waste in Penobscot River, also affect fish that travel into Wabanaki territory. Um, well, first, can you introduce yourself?
1: Uh, <clears throat> sure, my name's Luke. Um, I'm a ranger here at Acadia. Uh, I've been a ranger here for about two years.
0: Can you tell me a little bit about how climate change is impacting Acadia National Park?
1: One well, of The biggest impact is the warming of the Gulf of Maine. Um, as the as the gulf warms it affects a lot of the kind of animals that live in there, mostly lobsters is the biggest one we notice. Um, so as, the, as it warms the lobsters kind of move farther north um, to colder waters and <clears throat> one thing is the gulf of maine is warming faster than 99 percent of other bodies of water on the planet so it's you know warming at a pretty quick rate yeah yeah
0: Wow. Well, are there any measures that the park is taking to sort of prevent or combat climate change
1: um well the the most we can do is kind of just increase awareness about climate change Um, so if you could come in here this whole nature center is centered around climate change um, and the impacts and what you can do about it Um, unfortunately it's closed but um, yeah that's kind of the most we can do
0: Mm -hmm.
1: so we get about three and a half million visitors here so we try to make people aware yeah
0: um is there anything that you would tell visitors that you think would be helpful for them to know about protecting the park
1: yeah um, in regards to climate change um, I think the most that anyone can do is to you know, stay aware and um, keep up with what's going on like regular people we can have a small impact, but the biggest impact you can have is with your votes. So if you're voting, you know, in legislators that care about climate change, those are the people that can really make a big difference. Um, So I think that's the biggest thing is stay involved in politics and stay involved in what your representatives are doing about climate change.
0: Mm In this nature center, you said it's all focused on climate change. So I'm kind of just mm-hmm. curious, what's your approach to like misinformation and, and people who are skeptical about climate change?
1: Um, well, the most we can do is just educate people. Uh, um, yeah, you know, there's a lot of misinformation for sure out there. Um, so, yeah, all we can do is try and keep up with the most up to date science um, the Park Service is very you know, science-focused, so we we don't get involved in conspiracy theories or anything like that. So we're just presenting the most accurate and up-to-date science. Um,
0: and yeah. Thank you. Thank yeah. you for speaking to me. Yeah, of course. Traditional ecological knowledge is indigenous peoples' wisdom, cultural beliefs, and stewardship of the natural world, forged over centuries of close bonds with their native ecosystem. The Wabanaki people are fighting for this knowledge to be recognized by the National Park Service, asserting that they have the right to employ thousands of years worth of sustainable harvesting wisdom on the shared tribal and park land. Traditional ecological knowledge can function in a symbiotic relationship with what is known as Western science. In fact, weaving together these two schools of thought is not only a tool for decolonization, but also a practical means of fighting climate change. The knowledge accrued by indigenous people over the centuries is unique in its comprehensive understanding of natural ecosystems and their interconnectedness. Native American songs, stories, tools, traditions, and deep understanding of every cog in the cycle of life, every intricate pattern in the food web, add new dimensions to Western science's purely qualitative perspective on climate change. It allows us to look at the domino effects of fluctuating ecosystems through the lens of those with a deeply personal, holistic, spiritual, and scientific understanding of nature, a piece that rigid data sets and computer models are lacking. From the cultural diaspora of the Wabanaki people to the forced migration of fish species into cooler waters, climate change and colonization are linked beyond the figurative. Climate change disproportionately affects native people all over the nation, many of whom were pushed into undesirable land, first by colonial powers, then the government. According to climate justice experts, the federal approach to tackling climate change is centered in colonial perspectives and systems and is directly linked to the unequal impacts of climate change on indigenous people. The Wabanaki are pushing for land management officials to use sustainable landscaping approaches in hopes of welcoming back poisoned species. They are teaming up with federal land planners to protect the reservation's infrastructure imperiled by climate change. Today, Acadia National Park is a hub and a meeting place of Wabanaki tribe members and visitors seeking to learn more. The Abbey Museum leads festivals and dances Wabanaki people come to hike the park's trails, sell handmade baskets, harvest sweetgrass, and connect with their land. Their culture is sown vibrantly into the tapestry of Acadia's sunsets, their traditions once again pulsing in the soil and coursing through the rivers. Both the Wabanaki people and the Acadia National Park Service are rooted deeply in the land they share, tied together by their connection to this common wilderness and the cultures and traditions that have sprung from it. They are even fighting common enemies, climate change and the residual poisons of colonization, two crises that are linked like mercury pollution is linked to the migratory fish in Penobscot River. The Wabanaki tribes insist that the Park Service take them into consideration when combating climate change, The National Park Service has already begun meshing traditional ecological knowledge with their climate agenda. Together, the groups are stitching interconnected culture, data, traditions, numbers, life cycles, and qualitative observations into an intricate plan of action, like a tightly woven sweetgrass basket, strong enough to keep the storm surges and floods out and protect the cultures, traditions, parks, and common goals cradled within. Thanks for listening to Park Wake Up Call.